0: Acts twenty twenty four uh, says, I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to the testify to the Gospel of the grace of God. And again, we are reminded with these words... Um, from the Apostle Paul that we are given a ministry, a task. Uh, He had his specific uh, ministry, and and so do we. We have a life to live, a course to run. And in this class, we've been discussing various things that get in the way of us running that race. Which reminds us of Hebrews 12, that we um, are surrounded... By so great a cloud of witnesses that he mentions in chapter 11, he says, Let us therefore also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so... We, reor- we orient our hearts and our minds to the work before us with these two governing texts. And then we remind ourselves once more that when this class, Beating Burnout, that what our, we're striving to do right, is to prevent against the failure to fulfill our God-given obligations and this failure occurs because of both circumstances in our lives and choices in our lives. And the way that those things come together and it produces increasingly negative consequences in our relationships with God, others, and ourselves. And so we're not going to have and live perfect lives. We're going to struggle at various times with, uh, with our responsibilities and, and all of that. Um, but what we don't want is to, to to crash and and burn as so many in our day seem to be doing. In the last few weeks, we've said one big uh, bad guy in, in the midst of all that is is our our screens, our our phones, and all of the time that we we spend there. And and that it's not inherently wrong to have a smartphone or a TV or anything like that. Obviously, but we need to be careful that we aren't. Um, Distracted away from all of the most important things, and so, um, and really, I could have talked about that forever, um, but I tried limiting myself to about a, a month of discussion on that. And so, what we're going to do now, we're transitioning in uh, November and in December as we finish this class out in the next couple of months to talk about. Um, a forming, formulating a positive theology of the body and the soul uh, so that we can uh, run, run our race well because those are, that's, our, that's how we are created as, as man. We are both body and soul, though that's something that we tend to forget quite a lot in, uh, in a very Gnostic world that seeks to disparage uh, the body in some way. And for anyone who has been sick in the last little bit, we are uh, especially reminded of the connection between body and soul. Uh, when your body is worn down, it uh, it can have a fairly profound effect on on your your heart uh, as well. And so, um, I guess we'll take that as a uh, a kind reminder. Difficult, but. A good reminder from the Lord. So, returning now, sort of to the a generalized outline. If you remember that book that I mentioned that we began with, uh, "Reset" by David Murray, and the the other book, a "Refresh," that he and his wife wrote. Um, those books will sort of will serve as a general outline for what we're gonna gonna do here. And so, the first November, we're gonna spend four weeks uh, offering a positive theology of of the body, and then we will do the same with with the soul in December. Um, Broadly speaking, we must learn to care for ourselves as we exist as body and soul. Now, we could launch into a very long and interesting track of thinking about the importance of holding these, these two realities together in a more philosophical way. But I want to refrain from taking too much time on this. We've we've spent some time discussing it earlier in the class. So I just want to do a little bit of a reminder here. Catch us up to speed and then we'll be off and running. The point is that I believe one of the fundamental causes of the contemporary explosion of burnouts that we uh, that we're seeing in Western society in particular has to do with our rejection of the body. As I said, we've already addressed this, so we'll just revisit this. Briefly, the secular world holding on to what's called, though many of them might not know it's called this, but personhood theory, um, which, as a, again, I, I already quoted Nancy Piercy earlier in her book, Love Thy Body. She, she writes, according to personhood theory, when talking about the human being as a biological organism, we are in the realm of science where life has been reduced to a mere mechanism with no intrinsic purpose or dignity. Whatever immaterial, this is me now, not piercy whatever immaterial aspect of a person may exist, they would say is, is unrelated and disconnected from the facts of the world and are therefore untreatable and are inconsequential. Interestingly enough, in the present day, what you see is uh, this this reduction of the body to, to mere biology where at one point the the secular sort of said that's all that is, that's all that matters. Biology, 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 and facts and science. Now we're sort of swinging to the other side, that belief has grown into, well, now you I mean you literally can there is no such thing as facts and science. What all that matters is, is feelings. So it's sort of an interesting uh, shift that 's taken place there, but in the end, the assessment is that mere biological beings therefore require mere biological treatment. and what appears to be a misguided attempt to avoid such thinking in practice, however, many Christians, I think, swing too far to the other side of the argument, and we seem to view man as essentially spiritual being who just happens to be encased in a physical body. Right? You ever you heard that before? Like at a funeral, something like that. That this this is no longer. This this isn't whoever you know. This is just a shell that housed this person that we loved. And in one sense, we can appreciate the reality that that person's soul, spirit, is with the Lord, and the body is is here. But I don't think it's quite right, and I don't think biblical to assert that I am. I am a soul, I merely have a body. I am a soul. I, I am a body. I am my body. I'm more than my body. But I am my body. Um, and so I, I think the, this belief, though, this, this pendulum swing to the other side, and especially in Christian counseling, leads to neglect of the body. Um. And so both of these approaches, whether it's to deny the body or to deny the soul, uh, fail to deal adequately with the essential nature of mankind. So we're going to spend four weeks talking about the body, four weeks talking about the soul, and helping us to establish healthy habits regarding both of these That will help us overcome whatever sense of burnout we are presently experiencing. Or... Will serve to to be a preventative for, for further burn, burnout. So, first up, as we consider theology of the body, is the need to develop a theology of rest or sleep. And rest and sleep aren't exactly the same thing, but they are they are related. So, uh, let's do a show of hands. So, um, who in here gets gets enough sleep regularly? You would you're you're like I definitely know I'm sleeping enough. Few, few, okay. Hat, what's that? Uh, is that? A, I mean, is that? Is that enough? So, uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't think that. Uh, I mean, I. I mean, I'm. I'm. I'm not a, a scientist or uh, anything like that. I've not. I'm not a doctor. I'm not, um, not a doctor yet. But even when I am, that won't relate to to th- this point that I'm about to make. But uh, just because someone says you should get eight hours of sleep, I don't know. Maybe you need nine. Maybe you need ten. I don't, I don't know that, I, you know, I think there's a generalized approach that we can take. But, you know, are you constantly waking up feeling? Now, some of that might not just be how much, but what's the, the quality of your sleep? But, you know, Josh puts people to sleep for a living. So, if you need help, just, <laughs> just see it. <laughs> And if I talk long enough, then I'm sure you might catch some sleep in here as well. So I think that, uh, and, and there are seasons for sure, but I think most, a lot of us, uh, in maybe this church or this county or this country, in the West generally, I don't know that, we're, that we really are sleeping and resting quite as much as, as we should. Um, a few different things I saw this week from studies. It seems that most people are sleeping, uh, just comparatively, about one to two hours less than people did uh, 60 years ago, even. So one to two hours less a night than people, are, people did 60 years ago, when it's having some, some fairly devastating effects on us. Now think about this, right? We're given, if you take the eight hours as a fairly standard approach to how much sleep you should get every night... That means that we're given about a third of our lives to, to sleep. We don't hear that a lot from, from, from pulpits, though. You don't, you don't hear that. When was the last time that you heard a sermon on sleep? Uh, now, a sermon that puts you to sleep is different than a sermon on sleep. Um, but this is what Murray writes. He says, few things are as theological as sleep. He goes on to describe the sermon that we preach in our sleep. He says, We preach the following truths to ourselves in our sleep. Um, And in this case, he's largely talking about what we preach in our sleep, in our lack of sleep, right? I don't trust God with my work, my church, or my family. Maybe that's that's a sermon that you're preaching with your, your sleep, right? I don't respect how my creator has made me to be to exist. Maybe that's a sermon. I don't believe that the soul and the body are linked together. I don't need to demonstrate my rest in Christ. I worship idols, right? These are sermons that a culture that is he would say is, per, you know, pervaded by a lack of sleep. These are some sermons that are being preached by our, our sleeplessness. Um, so let's let's think about some reasons. What are some reasons that we might need to sleep longer than we presently do? I have a few, but I'm curious what what you think. What are some you might come up with? Keep ourselves healthy so uh, healthy in what what sense? Yeah, so there are, there are physical consequences that we can experience when we have a lack of sleep, right? Um, just one week of sleeping, apparently fewer than six hours a night, can result in damages to more than 700 genes, uh, can uh, result in coronary nar- narrowing uh, and signs of, of brain tissue loss. Uh, sleep allows our bodies to, to clean out toxins from, from the body. Chronic sleep deprivation... Is associated with high blood pressure, heart disease, and infertility. Sleep loss has been connected with uh, with obesity. You know, one of the things that I just uh, dis- I would say discovered, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, uh, a while back, is that when I get sick, one of the most important things to do is to sleep. But one of the problems with being sick, especially if you get congested and you can't breathe, is you don't sleep very well. It's it's hard to sleep when you. You know your tongues hanging out of your mouth, and you're just like this, and you're snoring, and and um and you're not sleeping very well. You're waking up, you're tossing and turning, and so you you stay sick far longer than seems reasonable at all. Um, and so if you can just get a cup, you know, for for me, right? And this, I know that everyone has different circumstances in their lives, but for me, if I I found that if I could just find some way to get a, even just a couple of decent nights of sleep, then the sickness uh, tends to go away much, much quicker um, than if I find myself tossing and turning and, and miserable all night long. Um, thinking about the physical consequences of sleep as well, sports medicine helps us here. Um, uh, so I read this, two days of sleep reduction um, lead to more than 20% reduction in attention spans, reaction times, strength, stamina, accuracy, and speed, right? The the top athletes in the world prioritize catching Z's in order to help them catch passes. And um, and I read that some some athletes are, they are sleeping up to to twelve hours a night. I I read uh, so uh, greatest uh, one of the greatest tennis players ever, Roger Federer. Uh, apparently, you know, he said if I if I don't sleep twelve hours a night, it's it's just not right. And so. Um, now I'm, we're not Roger Federer um, or whatever sport you know sport icon you might I don't know who would make sense to you but that's who makes sense to me but uh, whatever um, you know professional athlete you know he's probably sleeping more than six hours a night um, or she so uh, there are physical consequences um, what else what what are other what are some other consequences or other reasons why we should sleep David. Yeah, absolutely. So there are spiritual and moral consequences. We struggle more with self-control when we're tired, right? It doesn't justify sinful reactions and, and words and, and behaviors, but it does help us to see those things in a context, right? The, 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 the implications of this are, are limitless, um, but I'll say this. You heard it here first. Are you feeling tempted to sin in some way? Go take a nap. You're welcome. Unless, of course, your temptation is to laziness, <laughs> then maybe, maybe something else is in order. But, generally, but So this is, this is what D.A. Carson said about spiritual, moral consequences. He said, if you are among those who become nasty, cynical, or even full of doubt when you are missing your sleep, you are morally obligated to try to get the sleep that you need. He says, "We are whole, complicated beings. Our physical existence is tied to our spiritual well-being, to our mental outlook, to our relationships with others, including with God. Sometimes, the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep, not pray all night, but sleep." Now he goes on, he says, "I'm not disparaging. Praying all night long. There are times when that is a good and right thing to do. He said, but sometimes. Taking up Tris, was that a? Um, so related to that, I mean, it is, so uh, I would say this is certainly a moral issue. But um, Murray kind of had broken it out into a different one. But I'll mention it here the financial con- financial consequences to lack of sleep. Uh, he said, sleep loss is estimated to cost American businesses sixty three billion dollars a year because of how it undermines safety, creativity, problem-solving, and productivity. And Jesus talks a ton about money. So what we do with our money is an, an incredibly moral uh, uh, issue. And so if, if I my lack of sleep is, is causing a significant um, consequence um, to, to someone else financially, then that, that's, that's a problem. Um, let's see i got three other ones we'll, we'll kind of go through quickly here. So, intellectual consequences. You know, we said we're not all professional athletes, but even, you know, for you're a knowledge worker or if you're a student, right, you see this in, uh, with uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers who, and they, they, I mean, I think I've read they still need like 11, 12 hours of sleep a night, but they're up, you know, playing games or texting or whatever they're doing um, way in late and they're, or doing homework, you know they're doing homework until midnight um, because they've got so many other things to do and they're not they're just not getting the sleep that they need, and so um, they're struggling in school. Sleep's important for us, um, even if we aren't you know operating heavy machinery or or, or trying to play uh, sports professionally insufficient sleep wreaks havoc on our memories, our abilities to learn um, right I mean, have you ever taken a test on a full night's sleep versus uh, Opposed to half-night sleep. Um, You know, that was kind of the thing. Like, hey, make sure you get your sleep. Quit studying if you have to. Just go to sleep and you'll probably do better. Um, So, intellectual consequences. Emotional consequences. Emotionally, we experience consequences from our sleeplessness. Sleep loss disrupts the brain's flow of... um, Epinephrine, dopamine, and serotonin, which I guess are chemicals closely associated with mood and, and behavior. Murray quotes one study that says that people with insomnia are 10 times as likely to develop depression as, uh, as those who don't have insomnia, and 17 times as likely to have significant anxiety than those without it. Um, there's a um, Charlie Hone in a book uh, called Play It Away. He writes... Every anxious person I've met has either been in denial about how little sleep they get, or they're overlooking the fact that they're going to be um, they're going to bed. Sorry, they're overlooking the fact that they're going to bed at random hours every night. He said, One of my readers wrote this message to me after reviewing an early draft of this chapter. The reader wrote, When I began forcing myself to sleep eight hours of night, my physical Health problems cleared up. My emotions balanced out and my anxiety disappeared. My mind could function and that tight feeling around my eyes vanished. He said eight hours of sleep is a miracle pill. Uh, And lastly, in terms of reasons that that I've got listed here, I think, yeah, reasons to sleep more are... Uh, social or societal consequences. And David talked a little bit about this as well. Murray asked this question. He says, which of the Ten Commandments can you keep in your sleep? Answer, you shall not murder. Um, technically, there are, uh, by that logic, there are a few others that we could keep, I suppose. But he says, uh, you know, he gives several statistics, and I won't quote him here, but, uh, you know, th- harm is often done to people when we are, tired, right? Falling asleep at the wheel would, would be an example. That, that happens quite a bit. There are a fair number of, um, oh, I actually do have that one here. Uh, I said, apparently the cognitive impairment that results from, being, away from uh, being awake for 24 hours, apparently is higher than the drunken driving limit in all states. This, how impaired you are. About 100,000 car crashes a year are a result from someone falling asleep behind the wheel. Right now, less extreme than that is aren't you just aren't you a more enjoyable person to be around when you've when you've had adequate sleep? <laughs> so um, thoughts, thoughts so so i want to I want to offer you a few uh, metaphorical sleeping pills in a moment to to wrap up here, but any co- comments or questions there yeah, Tricia, Jess, I should probably apologize for every time time i've ever kind of laughed at you for going to bed or wanting to go to bed all the time. Is that all the time? Yeah. Publicly, here I am, uh, confessing, uh, my, my joking to my wife about, about sleep. But, um, you know, and it is funny because people are wired differently. I mean, there's just no question. Um, she needs more sleep than I do. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Um, and so to, uh, to be, um, you know, we can, love, we can love others in our families and our workplaces and all that by going to bed early, but we can also love uh, the people in our family by, by, by letting people go to bed, right? Have you ever been in the situation where with your spouse and you're arguing and, and one, one of you is like, can I just go to bed? Like, you know, this isn't going anywhere. And you're like, no, we're going to finish this. We're going to figure this out, Right? You're not. You're not going to figure it out. I'll tell you, not not that night, at least. Maybe the next morning you will. Um, and so it, it rubs up against, you know, this whole idea don't don't go to bed while you're angry. And I think that the, that's in a sense a generally a good rule. But we also have to realize that that's that doesn't mean that you have to be have every jot and tittle of the argument settled and figured out before you're allowed to go to go to sleep. I don't think so. The point the point, right is that you're not you're not just letting your, your anger continue to, to build up and, and explode. Um, and so you come to a place where you can stop, get some sleep, and then you can kind of get back to it. So, some sleeping pills then. Um, how, do we, how, do we, how do we get this, at times, elusive good night's sleep? Um, well, the first thing is, is, I think, to grow in our knowledge about the importance of sleep, right? The first thing is to get to know not just that sleep is important, but to know how much sleep for you is important. That's kind of the comment that Casey made earlier, right? Like, well, I get eight hours of sleep, but sometimes I'm not quite sure if that's enough or not. Maybe it's not, right? Maybe you function very well in seven, seven and a half, eight hours of sleep a night, right? Maybe maybe that's you. But maybe you you would do better with nine or ten or, I don't know, more than 12. That seems like you might have... you know, an issue, but um, because then if, you know, if you're going to be at work, I mean, you're going to bed at like 6.30 or something like that, which in the fall, like starting now with, you know, Daylight Savings Time being over, like that's just, that's the dream, right? Is you have dinner at 4 and you're in bed by 5.30, it's great. Um, But find find your sweet spot, you know, and and you're not going to get it every night, and we'll talk about that at some point, uh, make a comment here, but, you know, find your sweet spot, figure out what What's best for you and aim for that, right? Plan it. With that, right, discipline. So you don't just need to know about the importance of sleep and know how much sleep you need, but discipline. You have to commit yourself to turning off the TV or turning off the phone or putting down the books. I thought there might be a gasp there. No? No gasp? Yeah, sometimes you've got to close the book. I know, it's tough. Um, you've got to end the conversation, Right? You gotta get to gotta get to sleep, and you know, and I, I know you sure you've all seen this, right? Some like whatever, an hour before. If you're going to bed at nine, by eight o'clock, you really want to try to be, you know, not staring at a a bright screen or or doing a lot of heavy thinking and all of that stuff. Um, there's a, a a routine, right? So you don't just need the discipline to do it, but you need a ru- a routine, a, a a specific time that you're planning to go to. To bed every night. Um, our bodies are not built, as one author put it, to dart suddenly from one extreme mental and physical activity immediately into another, right? Now, I know some of you are probably thinking about your spouse, like it doesn't, you know, he just lays down no matter what's happening before and is instantly asleep. I don't know how he does it. Um, but generally, for most of us, we're not, we're not built to, to shift back and forth so suddenly, Right? Rest and activity demand transitions. Um, so do you have a nightly routine that helps you get your mind and your body ready for bed? Um, connected to that, obviously, as we already said, a media fast. Turn off the screens at given appropriate times. Also, how do you do this? Well, you do it together as a family, right? Unless you live by yourself, um, you're, you're probably going to have to work together as a family. This is kind of the comment I made earlier. You can love the other people well, in your home by helping them to get the you know at least have the setup in place so that they can get the sleep that they need, things aren't going to be easy if you live in a home where not even not even easy they might not even be possible if you live in a home with others who are living at odds with the plan right if you've if if uh you know if your teenager starts whatever practicing you know. Uh, go, gets his drum practice going on at you know nine thirty at night like that's that's probably going to get in the way so maybe a family conference might be needed to figure out times and all of this and how do we love each other well uh, also related exercise physical exertion is a big help for for being tired at night um, we sit a lot right we've talked about this in this class very sedentary lifestyles for many of us we sit a lot at a desk at a computer we don't we don't move a lot, um, and so if you've sat at a, des- a desk all day, that is exhausting in, in I mean, that, there's, there's no doubt that that's exhausting, but in a different way, and your body may struggle at night. Your body may be like, man, we haven't done anything all day. We just sat uncomfortably in a chair uh, for, for eight hours a day, and then we sat in the car on the way home, and then we sat at the dinner table, and then we sat on the couch, and so I've sat, and now I'm not, I'm not I don't know if I'm quite, quite ready to go, and so Getting, whatever, 20, 30 minutes several days a week might might be helpful. Contentment. Another another sleeping pill here. Maybe staying up late at night uh, might make you some more money. I'm going to get back after everyone goes to bed and, and crank out some more work. But those are short-term gains. Short-term gains. And they will fade in the long run as the negative effects of losing sleep will prey upon you. Um, I want to mention a few Scripture verses here from the psalm. Psalm 127, 2 says, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives to His beloved sleep. Wow, God gives to His beloved sleep. I know sometimes I, I go to bed at night thinking, man, what a waste. Like i got eight hours here that I could be doing stuff, and here I am. Lying unconscious, you know, useless to everyone in the world. But like Trisha said, in this moment maybe I'm useless, but I won't be tomorrow, right? And if I keep not sleeping, then tomorrow, the next day, and the day after, I'm going to become more and more useless when I'm supposed to be awake. In Psalm three, verse five, it says, "I lay down and slept; I woke again, for the Lord sustained me." Sleeping is an act of faith. I'm going to sleep. And I'm going to wake up in the morning if the Lord wills. Psalm 4, verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Right? Have you thought about that? That sleep as, as an act of faith that we Hold on to Jesus while we sleep because we are uh, making some acknowledgements that, well, I, I don't run the world, right? There are things that are going to continue to go on. The world will continue to spin even though I'm, I'm unconscious. God doesn't need me, and while I sleep, God will, generally, we expect, preserve me. Uh, let's see, wrapping up here. Um, other things, right? Counseling, right? So here's some other some how do you how do you take hold of this sleep? Maybe maybe counseling would be helpful for you. I can promise talking to me for an hour every week is surely to put you to sleep. So um there are things that, that can be discussed and, and explored that'll that'll help maybe sleep with counseling. Um Acceptance of special periods, this is another important thing. You're not always, not every week, every night of your life going to be able to get this. And so maybe, maybe there are specific times, a month here, a week here, where you're, you are getting less sleep. Those shouldn't be the norm, but you can embrace them and say, Hey, this is a special time period, I've got to hunker down, get through something, and then uh, Lord willing, get get back to sleep. Napping also, all right, you know, if you can't always catch it at, at night, maybe you can nap sometime during the day. Now, if you're napping like two to three hours every single day, again, that's, you're probably doing it wrong and need to shift some of that to sleeping at night um, if you can. But 15, 20, 30 minute nap, midday nap, right, or, or even just conscious relaxation. I read one guy that he just, he took, uh, you know, 20 minutes or so after, after dinner and just, he never, he didn't really fall asleep. He just closed his eyes and didn't think about much, right? And then he went up and finished, finished the evening out, right? Can be helpful. Um, if you can't manage this during the week, then maybe the, the hunt, the, the holy Sunday nap can, uh, can be a good use. Now that, maybe that one is a little bit, a little bit longer. Um, but you know, Make use of of this day, and take a sleep. Uh, if you're still running, if you're still exhausted after all of that, maybe maybe see a sleep doctor. Maybe go to someone who uh, has you know made a, a career out of helping people to to figure out sleep and all that. Talk to somebody. Um, lastly, then here, theology of sleep. Murray offers some thoughts. So, sleep prompts us to think of death, right? Death and sleep are sort of described in similar terms in the Bible. So when we think about sleep, we think about death. It teaches us about our Savior. Jesus slept. Just as significant as Jesus wept is the fact that He slept. If Jesus in His busy schedule could sleep, I can too. Sleep also illustrates salvation, right? Jesus, if you are weary, heavy laden, and you need rest, come to Me. Come to Me. Also, there's a, there's a picture of lying down and rising up, and there's a picture of death and resurrection. It points us toward heaven, right? Hebrews 4 tells us that there is a future rest yet for the people of God that we are waiting to enter into. So when we go to sleep every night, we proclaim, that's what I'm waiting on. So in the next two weeks, we'll talk about work and play together. Um, and then uh, we'll go on. So let me pray. Now, I know we, uh, we ran out of time. Father, thanks for sleep. I pray that uh, in this meager exploration of it this morning, that you would help us to uh, grow in our appreciation for the fact that you give to your beloved sleep. Lord, we pray for help um, today as we, as we gather for worship, Lord, that you would be pleased to dwell with us and among us, that you would um, hear us as we pray, that you would commune with us, and, uh, and uh, that you would conform uh, us into the image of Christ, that you would knit our hearts together as one body, help us to love one another, to love you, um, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.